So today I got um, an official response back from a bank on a short sale that I submitted. The property's in Alhambra. It's fifteen fifteen hundred square feet. It it's a legal. Um, it's on the record. It's a four bed, two bath, um, house, fifteen hundred square feet in a nice neighborhood, seventy five hundred square foot lot. That's important because the lot's big and it's hard to find nice big lots in Alhambra. So, um, you know, the BPO came back at like seven fifty, seven sixty, something like that. And um, I submitted my offer at five sixty five, and now may many of you may say, "Well, that's a pretty big spread, right?" But you know, it's not uncommon to get a fixer for at least a hundred thousand below market. The question is, can you get it even more so that you have room to do repairs and still make money? Now, I'm a buy and hold investor, but I like to get properties at at a price that a flipper typically would or very close to it because that means I know I'm getting a lot of equity that's that's saved in the property. So uh, I'm here. The the BPO came in at seven fifty, but and the bank countered my five sixty five at seven twenty. And now, obviously, the when we first heard this number, I was shocked and I thought I was going to lose the house because we were so far apart. But um, I asked the agent who who's the listing agent and also represent representing me, so she's representing both sides. I asked her to go back to the bank and explain to them there's some violations. So number one, there's a garage conversion, which um, frankly I like, and I probably wouldn't convert it back because I love the extra income from an even from an illegally converted um, garage. It still generates good money, um, almost probably a thousand dollars at minimum. You know, so that can that can really give you a lot of extra cash flow. If you plan to hold it long term, it really doesn't matter. Although you can't consider the square footage of the legal unit in your appraisal for the, for the house. So I had the so I had the agent go back and tell the bank, um, you know, okay, listen, there's an illegal converted unit. For them, that should be a concern because you know another you know retail buyer may find that you have to have that converted back. So that's one problem. Number two is the the current owners who are underwater, they converted the four bedroom in the front house into a two bedroom, and um, they're two bigger bedrooms, but nonetheless, this this reduces the value of the house. So I'd have to go in and at least add one more bedroom back. And the way that they did it would not be extremely easy. So there's a little bit of work that goes into that as well. So for these two reasons, and also in addition to that, there's also a hero lien. So if you're not familiar, whenever um, you get money from the city for some, you know, upgrades or something, there, the those those fees, the, the the cost of that loan actually gets tacked onto the house and it will follow the house versus following the person who took out the loan like um, a typical um, loan you would get from a bank. So this is essentially like a tax lien. There's a 50000 tax lien that stays with the property. So whatever I get the property at, you have to add $50,000 to that final purchase price. So obviously, you know, their their first counter at 720,000 plus 50,000, you know, you now you're at 770. Okay, it's no longer a deal at all. That's like market price for the house, maybe even a little bit over. And no investor would buy it. No retail would um, you know, um buyer would buy it because they have to deal with all these other issues. So the bank really has no idea what they're doing. 
So I had the agent call back and say, get somebody on the phone and explain to them the violations that are that are associated with this property. The hero lien, the, the two-bedroom, the converted four-bedroom to two-bedroom, and also you have an illegal converted garage. So for these reasons, you need to find an investor who's willing to um, put in the money and do the work to get this thing back up to par. But at the same time, you also have to reduce the price enough to where there's a little bit of a margin. There's an equity equity gain or a margin for resale that would entice you know, retail buyer, or I'm sorry, an investor to go through all this trouble. That's the whole purpose of undervaluing a property is because you know you're going to have to um, find an investor. Retail buyers want turnkey, rehabbed, perfect. I walk in, I can immediately put furniture in and start living the way I want to live. Okay, two completely set of buyers. So after we did that, they seemed to they seemed to really get the picture. I was still very, you know, not very confident because of the huge gap, but they came back and surprisingly, the number they gave us was 585. Now, 585 obviously is a big, you know, reduction in their in their original counter from 7 from 720. I was very shocked about that. I was very happy about it. Um, frankly, at 585, you know, there is pretty good margin because there are some upgrades that came with the Hero Lean. They they put in some recessed lighting. There are some solar panels and whatnot. So it's actually a pretty good deal. But this, you know, this is the kind of the issue that comes in with California. At six, if I buy at 585 and you add in that 50,000 Hero Lean, you now you're at 635. At 635. You got closing costs, say that you're all in, six forty-five, and then you have to put twenty thousand dollars to at least get an extra bedroom and maybe do some other little repairs. So now you're all in at six fifty-five. This is a good deal because frankly, I think that you know, as is condition, you could resell for seven fifty, no problem all day long. Um, you know, for that size lot, that it's a beautiful lot, beautiful backyard, beautiful front yard. It's a house of a buyer would love to just come home to and call it a home. Big wide streets, friendly neighbors, um, all the things that you associate with a with a really nice house in a really nice neighborhood. So frankly, I, I like it at five eighty five. Um, that's probably a typical deal that I would take down. Um, but I'm gonna try and squeeze a little bit more because frankly, I think that because I am the buyer, where we are in negotiations, I can squeeze a little bit more out. So I asked this, I asked the agent to go back and think, okay, nice price, thank you for the reduction, but listen, there's still a lot of issues with this property. I'm still going to put a lot of cash up front into it, so I'd like you to reduce a little bit more. So I I asked for a ten thousand dollars closing cost or maybe a 570 purchase price. Frankly, I don't know what they're going to say. They could be frustrated. They could say no. Um, they could think they can get a better offer. But the, but the fact is, there's a few things that are working with me. Now that they know that there are violations against the property, um, the question is, do you really want to go back on the market, try to find a new buyer and have to go through this whole negotiation process again, not knowing whether or not they're going to be able to close and really not knowing if they're really as confident with taking on these type of um, issues. So for all those reasons, I, I feel confident that we can go back and get a little bit more money because, you know, frankly, when you're talking about repairs, closing costs um, really help. You know, when you're taking out a loan, 
the a difference in five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars in terms of a mortgage um, price change is really small. You know, maybe it's fifteen, twenty, maybe even forty dollars, something like that. It's really not a lot of money. But if you can keep an extra ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars in cash, which you would save in say closing costs. Um, that's money you can immediately put into the house. I could probably take 5000 and turn it into a three-bedroom and spend the rest of the money on whatever else that needs to be done. So we're in this negotiation process. I'm hoping to hear back today. Um, the truth is, and I told you know, I shouldn't have told the agent, but the truth is I would close at five eighty-five. Um, it, it is a really good deal. And in today's market, in such a prime location, I frankly don't want to give up a great property um, for something so something that I would honestly forget about in three months, you know, $10,000, no joke, it's a lot of money. But the fact is, you know, I'm going to hold the property for a very long time. And five, 10 years from now, the last thing I want to do is regret buying a great property in a prime location that will rent all day long for now till the end of time, unless Southern California gets hit, hit gets hit with a big one or something. This is a very safe investment. Um, it's something that will generate great cash flow in the future. The equity gain, I think, will be continuing to appreciate in this location as the Asian buyers in Alhambra continue to rise. It's surrounded by extremely expensive um, neighborhoods such as South Pasadena and also um, San Marino. So if you're familiar with these areas, um, you know these are ex- very, very high um, priced areas. We're talking about multi-million dollars, even $10, 20000000 million properties. And the school districts is one, really one of the reasons that um, these two areas are so um, secure. Um, they have the best schools in California, if not America. So, we're, you know, and if you know anything about that, um, about buying in areas near expensive areas, you understand that the closer you get to those areas, you know, the closer I get in Alhambra to these other expensive areas, the more expensive those properties in Alhambra becomes. Um, the, the, the closer in proximity you are to expensive areas, even though you're, you're in a different school district and in a different city, the more expensive you, it will become. And, uh, you know, it, it's not just a, a line in the sand where, don't get me wrong, there are some places where you could probably draw a line in the sand and there are significant price differences. But the fact is, you see the neighbors a lot more, you see the Porsches, you see the Lamborghinis, you see the $10 million houses, and when you're, when you're in proximity to these areas, the fact is, the price gets higher. So um, it's a short sale, you know, even once everything is finalized, um, it will still take a long time to probably process, and then there's obviously the loan that's involved. I don't think there should be any issues with this, because frankly... Um, I've closed on more difficult properties, um, and then I hope to hear back soon and then close on the property and um, put some renters in there as soon as possible. So I think the rent will be, you know, conservatively 3200 for the front house. I think I could get an extra grand for the back house. So you're looking at about a $4,200 um, gross rental income per month. Um and that that puts a little cash flow into my pocket, probably, you know, five to seven hundred dollars of cash flow in my pocket. You know, I'm not including the the capex costs and the the the, the yearly repair fees. There's obviously going to be a lot, you know, some repairs here and there. Frankly, the house is in a very good condition. That's why I'm that's why I'm willing to buy it 
um, at this price and not lower. Um, I'm not going to have to do the floors. I don't have to do the kitchen. I don't have to do the bathrooms. Um, all this stuff is already complete. So these are things you have to consider. And frankly, you know, if, if you're starting out, um, it's tough to gauge all these things, to take all of these variables in at once. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of tools out there that you can use. Um, you know, you can do the repair calculator. You can do the, the after after um, repair value and do the comps and all that stuff. But the fact is there's so many different variables that until you really you know, um, focus in on all of those different things through a little bit of experience is tough to really find what, what are really great deals and which aren't. So don't be afraid to get out there. You know, I bought a property in Azusa, which is a, not a very good neighborhood. It is a regret of mine. I, I, after two rent, small in, rent increases, I'm just now breaking even on the, on the mortgage. You know, I bought it because rates were low and I thought it would be a nice savings account. You know, I rented for, uh, twenty three, twenty three fifty. Um, uh, but it, 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 I thought it was an up and coming neighborhood. The fact is, it's it's not appreciating as well. You know, it, Azusa just simply does not appreciate as well. And I'm probably going to sell that property soon because, you know, I could keep it forever, but it it hurts my debt to income ratio. Um, simply because it's there. Even though when you're breaking even, when you're adding debt, your debt to income ratio will will increase and the more it increases the less you're going to be able to use debt in the future to buy something that probably cash flows a little bit better so not you know not the best neighborhood not the i hate to say they're really great tenants these are great tenants but compared to other properties that i have not as you know strong as an income with the tenants um so when you take all these things into account um you gotta make your decisions. You make some bad decisions. You make some good ones. But the more the more you do, the better you'll be at it. That's that's just a simple fact. So that's all I had to share for today. Just a um a little little update on a project that I'm working on. I'm, I have another update I can tell you about. A uh, multi unit in San Dimas. I'll probably close that out on a different recording. Hope you're enjoying it. Again, more interviews will be coming with actual real estate professionals, and then we can talk more. All right. Thank you. Bye.